0: Be the best rugby coach you can be. Welcome to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with Head Coach Dan Cottrell, where you learn hints and tips from the rugby coaching community. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with me, Dan Cottrell. And on the podcast tonight, uh, we have Jamie Taylor. Welcome to the podcast, Jamie. Hi, Dan. How you doing? I'm very well. And uh, the reason why I've got uh, Jamie on the podcast is because over the last few years, I very much enjoyed his interventions uh, on occasions on the Twitter chats uh, that people have around coaching and how coaching is effective, and more recently been particularly interested in his work around um, elite player pathways. So we might talk a little bit about that later on. So just a bit of background about Jamie is that um, he was director of rugby at Denston College, uh, academy head coach at Leicester Tigers, and now is coaching Loughborough University first team who are playing who play in the national leagues. Um, He is an elite coach mentor for the Premier League Academy coaches, uh, so on the dark side of soccer. And his day job is now Senior Performance Pathway Scientist with the English Institute of Sport and UK Sport. Uh, He's also published papers on how and why elite pathway players don't make it. So he has done quite a lot um, so far. So I'm looking forward to delving into his expertise. So the first question I want to ask, Jamie, is uh, around your approach, which is you like the idea of thinking about why we are doing something rather than having a generic approach. So perhaps you could just tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, thanks for the intro. It's uh... Certainly, sounds better than than it is. It's quite a mouthful, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yes. My, I suppose my my fundamental philosophy on things is that there is no one way of doing things. That I I think the majority of people would accept that there is no absolute blanket right and wrong in the vast majority vast majority of coaching, vast majority of talent development, because we're talking about something that's inherently messy, something that's in, inherently complex. And there's a real need to upskill people uh, across coaching, across talent development, to be able to understand why they're doing what they're doing. And that's a fundamental starting point for me.
0: Yeah, so I'm interested in this idea of upskill. I mean, in a sense, that is a coaching challenge in itself. So you've got a coach uh, out there. How do you even start to upskill a coach when the coach themselves is struggling to upskill the players in front of them
1: so i think we're potentially talking about two different domains so you'd have coaching as in i'm a coach and i coach players i coach athletes and the domain of coach development and coach education now there are i suppose there's multiple ways you you could you can approach coach development much in the same way as you can approach coaching players i think and some of the work that we have done would suggest it's absolutely critical to help coaches have a knowledge of various things that would support
0: their coaching practice so what are those what would you say would be the the key pieces of knowledge they need
1: there are ultimately again it depends on where they're working their domain of practice so for example if you're coaching at the elite end if you're coaching senior elite athletes there is probably a different knowledge base that you require when compared to coaching talent development athletes or players who are at a stage of performance where they're desperately trying to reach the top and there is probably another different knowledge base that you might require if you're coaching players who are just there to turn up on a Sunday morning and want to chuck a ball around and 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 just participate.
0: So, given yeah, so given those uh, those four different examples, let's just um, uh, give given see if you can give me an example of the sort of knowledge you would expect each one to have which would be not perhaps would be different to another one of the groups I know we're, we're talking generalities but if we're say talking at the top end what would you expect from a top end coach what sort of knowledge would they have that maybe other coaches wouldn't have
1: I suppose I'd steer you towards the idea of not necessarily a top end coach in terms of the quality of their practice more probably a coach who is working with top end players right if we're talking about a coach that's working with top end players then there are they are likely to need a far greater depth of knowledge technically tactically strategically in the game of rugby to be able to support the needs of top level players and it, ultimately because they are there to try and support players to win matches if they're working if you're talking about a top end talent development coach They are probably going to need to know a lot about development and developmental processes. And I suppose how a young person changes, why they change, and how they can support their long-term development rather than just their performance now.
0: Okay, so that that throws out um, an interesting problem that often we see is that former players go quite quickly um over into the coaching domain and they are either they either find themselves maybe working with the academy or they might find themselves working with the first team and their roles and their approaches they need to be different is that what you're suggesting
1: yes they need to be fundamentally different because if you're supporting the uh, future developments of a player, your approach is necessarily different than a coach who's trying to win on Saturday.
0: So, what what, what would that look like? What would they be doing differently during a week?
1: Well, they would probably make, uh, pr- they'd be privileging different areas of practice. They'd be worried less about, for example, um, producing tactics that are going to win a match versus considering how their how a team plays might support the long-term developmental needs of a player
0: so this is quite. This is quite difficult then for a, an inexperienced coach. I know we're now talking, uh, we're talking about domains of the players in front of you. So an inexperienced coach may not be able to see that or do you think that when they get in there someone gives them a job description says, right, you guys need to concentrate on developing the player in the long run and you guys need to concentrate on winning on Saturday? Is, do you think that happens or do the coaches become aware of it very quickly?
1: Okay, so yes, I've I've worked with some uh, ex-professional players who've done an exceptional job at transitioning into coaching in an academy setting. I think what's really critical, though, is that what those players will bring are a series of understanding experiences of the journey that those players may well go through. They bring an enormous level of technical, tactical expertise, particularly perhaps in in one role or in in a specific position. And there's an enormous amount that academy players can gain from uh, the, the knowledge that they have. Now where they p- perhaps need support is understanding developmental processes and that can be that can come from the people around them in an academy setting. I also think that formal coach development has a really important purpose to serve there and the different nature of working with talent development athletes and uh, sorry talent development coaches and, and senior coaches is really important and to my mind should be differentiated
0: can you so can you be both can you be both at the same time can you wear both yes. hats
1: right yes absolutely I think you can definitely wear both hats but I do believe that there are different skill sets required for both it doesn't mean you can't have both of those skill sets though
0: so uh, let's say a coach is working with um, a talent talent player. Uh, on on the pathway, what sort of conversations are they having with them which will be different to a player who may be looking to play in the first team at the weekend?
1: So uh, it's a pretty difficult question to answer because ultimately <laughs> it depends what that person needs and a mm. senior player may well require a conversation that a development player needs but I would suggest that, for the most part, the coach's intentions will be driven, not necessarily by winning. But the, uh, the, sorry, the talent development coach's intentions won't necessarily revolve around winning at the weekend. They should revolve around preparing that player for their long-term future.
0: Now, obviously, we do, we are talking about it depends on, and uh, it's very difficult to be general and in fact that's probably what i was talking about right at the start well you were we we're talking about the generic approach so it's it's a little bit scary i suppose for coaches because they're going to be faced with hundreds of different situations perhaps on a weekly basis and they're going to have to deal with each one as they as they as it appears in front of them so they must have some form of template to say right here is a problem I've not necessarily come across it before. This is how I deal with it. What would you suggest to somebody who's maybe newish into coaching in terms of having to deal with the multitude of different situations they're going to face?
1: Well, I suppose, first of all, I th- think that they, they're they in the wrong business if they want simple. <laughs> right. once uh, an A to B to C to D approach, because it, regardless of, what people may think it is. It's definitely not that. Coaching practice is really complex and it's really difficult to do and even harder to do really well. So I would urge people to be comfortable with that complexity, but also it should necessarily stimulate people's, uh, or it should engage people and motivate people to go away and, and learn more to support the development of their practice
0: and where are they finding this learning from where are they going to
1: well i would suggest there are betterer and worser learning uh, sources for learning uh, and it obviously depends on the level of the coach my bias and i suppose you talked about my bio at, at the start when I, I have it done some empirical research so my bias is that there are there is a, a wealth of really um, effective evidence-based uh, knowledge sources that aren't really that difficult to find. Um, most of them are freely available, uh, which I would I would suggest that would be a, a really good uh, a really good place for coaches to go to. I think that engaging in rigorous, reflective practice on what they on their experiences is also an important place to learn from. I'm certainly not discounting the value of experience and. I'm sure that uh, lots of governing bodies offer really good coach development opportunities, and I would also suggest that if you can find one, a an appropriately qualified coach developer would be a really good place as well.
0: So there's the there's the coach. They are they're they are find they come up across problems which they should embrace because that's why they're in it, and they shouldn't be. Disheartened when they not everything is working out. So there's two things I want to sort of explore there. One of the things I think coaches find very difficult is, uh, especially in say the talent area, uh, as opposed to the weekend matches, where you can pretty much tell whether things going right because you can look at the scoreboard um, and you can compare yourself very quickly. Now talent takes a long time before it reveals itself uh, whether they make it to the next level. How can, you, how can you check on um, a regular basis that you are saying things which are, and doing things which are making a difference to that player? Or is it, or is it completely impossible?
1: Uh, it, I mean, it's an excellent question. Uh, so I would suggest that given the extent of the complexity you're dealing with when you're working with young people, you're working with developmental athletes, it's a lot harder to be uh, for you to understand whether the, what you have done has significantly impacted on their performance trajectory so there are process based markers you might be able to use there are conversations where you might be judging what uh, and the uh, the feedback that an athlete gives you there are performance markers because you can see uh, is this is the player improving in the areas that you are uh, that they want to improve and you're seeking to help them improve in. And there is a, 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 a historical thing as well. So where has this player moved from and where is this player moving to? I
0: mean, it's a very sophisticated picture that you are trying to look at, paint, add to, uh, to to create a metaphor around this. So just going back to the first thing you said, uh, when you say process-based marker, what does that mean, and can you give some examples of those in action?
1: So, I would suggest that there are. You can you can look at your you can reflect on what were your intentions as a coach. So, I have intended to let's say uh, offer a player a level of challenge. Because let's say you've got a player who's had it very easy up until this particular point, or they've had a period of time when they've been doing really, really well. But in your judgment, they might require a little bit more challenge in order to stimulate further learning uh, and growth. So your intention is, right, Okay, we're just going to make this a little bit tougher for this player now. Now, that could be... uh, Offering a particular challenge, it could be changing their position, it could be playing them up, it could be playing them down. There's a range of different things you might be able to offer. Then you reflect on to what extent has that player reacted in a a, a manner that supports their long-term development based on what your intentions were.
0: Now, I can see a danger here. Uh, I'm going to ask another question on playing up. Because you made a very good point on the Dan Abrahams uh, podcast a while ago about play up so i'm going to come back to the moment there you are working with one player in giving them challenges and uh, trying to stretch them in different ways and he's he or she is one player in a group of players so you give a challenge to one player that might have a knock-on effect on another player and therefore you're actually creating a very complex situation where well, just a moment, you've played this player out of position. Let's say uh, you've challenged him to be scrum half and you're playing inside centre and you don't receive a pass for the next three games because the scrum half can't get the ball away. I- I'm-, I'm just worried that one player's challenge is another player's missed opportunity. Is that, is that the case or am I looking too deeply into it?
1: Oh, no, I think that's important, a really important level to look at it from. And I suppose just by the the same, and clearly that's going to come into your decision-making process about what, what you offer. By the same token, not offering that player that particular challenge also has unintended consequences on the players around them as well. Why? Well, if you leave that player where they are, and you don't give another player the opportunity to play somewhere else, if we're looking at the the idea of rotating positions, then you might also remove an opportunity from them then as well.
0: Because and that the, player might do something which then challenges them in a different way. I mean, some of the challenges will obviously reveal themselves in ways you didn't expect, um, and that's often a, the, the serendipitous uh, situations occur um, and you can probably think back, well, I did at least create the environment. It just so happens they they grab that opportunity. So the, these things might happen serendipitously. I just want to go back to a really interesting point you made to Dan Abrahams. You said that sometimes players get the chance to play up and that's not actually really a challenge for them. Um, can you just explain why you suggested that?
1: So... In in some of my in some of the research that I've done and some of the, the work that's uh, yet, I suppose yet uh, will is in press at the moment would suggest that when players are given an opportunity to play up at a far higher level of performance they don't necessarily experience that as a challenge they experience it as a really memorable, positive event, something that's fantastic. It's almost like the pressure is off. I'm playing up. I get my first team opportunity. I get my first team debut. I'm really nervous about it beforehand. But afterwards, I I don't reflect on it as a challenge. I see it almost as a reward. Whereas the period after, let's say they play up in the first team for one game, and then they're not back in the first team, it's typically the period after that they experience a challenge Or they experience the negative uh, emotion that comes with being uh, playing up and then not having a uh, not being up there all the time. So So it's not necessarily just playing up, it's not necessarily that what is offered to a player, it's how the player interacts with what's offered to them.
0: So, how would you support that player afterwards? Because you can't just give them continue giving them first team games uh, because of the the way that everyone has to operate within a team. So, how do you then support that player, given that they've they've had a couple of chances in the first team, um, in order to give them the challenge? But it wasn't ever going to be a long term. Well, when I say it wasn't going to be a long term, wasn't going to be a medium term solution for them. So, what what sort of again conversations or challenges are you giving this giving to this player?
1: Well, I think the the idea is, I suppose, what I'm what I'm getting to is the idea necessarily of challenge and support as being. Um, to different ends of a spectrum probably isn't necessarily that appropriate because a different player will interact with what's, uh, what's offered to them in the broadest sense very differently. So how you w- might engage with and continue to coach a player at that point will be different based on their needs. So, for example, if that player had f- had had found it very easy up until this point has the, I suppose he treats it as an honour playing up in the first team and then doesn't get an opportunity for a while longer, you might, you wish to use the negative emotions that he has around that to help him reflect on what he needs to do to make the performance improvements to get himself another opportunity.
0: All right, so you are you can use the negative thoughts to turn into um, a positive outcome. By the way, that, the way that you're saying things I mean obviously at the moment there's some very exciting young players who have been given an opportunity because of the World Cup and that means that now the senior players are coming back these conversations are going to be uh, happening a lot more than say mid- midway through the season now something uh, just going back to sometimes that generic approach there's often that um, a well-worn phrase if they're good enough they're old enough um is that again it depends or is that uh, do we have to be careful when we say these sorts of things
1: I think we definitely need to be careful when we say these sorts of things but only in so far that we understand what we mean by good enough because ultimately if a young player is physically technically tactically psychologically appropriate for the long-term world-class levels of performance then definitely However, what does as I would have a question around what good enough means. If it means that they've had a very easy journey all the way up, and they might not necessarily be physically ready, psychologically ready, then we need a real no, uh, We need a real level of caution about what where they play, how long they play, and what level of challenge is offered to them.
0: Um, so, so I'm thinking mentally now, because obviously um, a big, a big strong player can. Um, come and be physically probably fine, and they'll develop over time, but mentally, they're going to be uh, someone uh, watched the game the other day when the bath winger came on um and the commentator said that he'll play with no fear, he's got nothing to fear. I mean, I'm sure he had worries and fears. he t- first touched the ball, he rounds his um, the full back and scores, and it was um it was very exciting. Um, it's the mental thing I worry about, um uh, so. It might be in two or three weeks' time. He's not back in the first team. Is that is that the thing that we need to worry about, or are we? Am I again trying to get too much detail?
1: No, look, I, I definitely don't want to get in get into comments on individual players, particularly mm. when I don't have any knowledge
0: mm.
1: of that player other than watching him score that try the other day. Mm. I um. I, I don't necessarily think it's a, a case of worrying. I think it's just a part of the coaching process. How do you help that person improve their long-term performance? And it's it, thinking in that vein rather than worrying too much, I think is a, would be an important feature of whatever coaching intervention that player is now offered.
0: So I get a sense of the, the key word really here is care, uh, as opposed to anything else. Thinking about the player as a whole as opposed to thinking about very short-term short-term routes for them okay so i'm just going to move away from that um idea we've just been talking about and move on to something a little bit more specific now um and particularly interested in given that you worked across a range of um teams and with different scenarios coaches intervening in sessions Mm. um now, this is a slightly different line to where we've been going on. And, and obviously, it does depend. So maybe we'll create some scenarios. But the session is starts and you are watching from the sidelines or you're in the middle. So that may indeed change the way you intervene. From your own point of view, the way that you coach, what's your sort of attitude or the way that you, you take, take this session?
1: Well, ultimately, I suppose if I return back to my starting point, well, it, it depends what, what I'm trying to achieve and why I'm trying to achieve it. Right. And my actions shouldn't be dictated by a a my coaching approach, my coaching style, but I should be able to vary what I offer based on the needs of the players and their long-term performance aims rather than I I decide I am X coach and that's the way I do it because it's the right way or it's the way that I do it.
0: So you've got to play, you've got to coach from what you see in front of you. So give me an example of uh, how that might play out uh, maybe in one of your recent sessions.
1: Okay, so I'd be thinking of a recent session that we set up where uh, there were a number of areas of I suppose to give you some context, then I'm thinking about a session where uh, we've had a number of players just moving around between different squads, uh, a number of players that might be a little bit lower on confidence based on their recent performance and based on their long term needs that probably needs to be a, a higher level of um, of slower blocked massed practice to boost confidence in particular areas of the game that help build their confidence and may well support them uh, performing more effectively in the short term and in the meantime hopefully improving their long-term prospects because they've just been subject to a very high level of challenge that they haven't quite been able to meet so in that situation uh, for example, set piece work, scrum, and line-out was more blocked and more massed. And when I say that, that might be what you would consider drill-based practice to look like. But that would be another term I'm not that keen on.
0: <laughs> so uh, let's just go. so let's uh, say we've got um, you're doing a, a scrum practice, and um, a player is not quite getting one of the techniques right. How? What does that? In the way that you approach that situation, can you give me an example of what you might do? The player's not quite getting it right. Maybe his uh, his foot position, his back position. I mean, I'm just showing I'm right on the edge of my scrummaging knowledge here. But just uh, how would that? What would you be doing? What would you be saying?
1: Well, uh, I hate to say it, but I think it very much depends on uh, on a whole range of things. I right. Think, number one, particularly given. If we're talking about scrummaging, there is a safety element that may not appear that much in other areas. So if a a non-coaching intervention puts that player at risk of injury, then it clearly would change what I did. However, what I chose to do will depend on what it is, uh, the extent to which it might be able to be uh, given the time constraints that you have on practice. Is there a better vehicle for supporting that player, offering a coaching intervention? Is it absolutely critical to offer a short-term piece of feedback? Will the player's learning be supported by delaying feedback and offering it at a different time? Is the player in a position to hear that feedback? There are any number of different combinations of things that you would change what you did.
0: Right, so let's take it away, I mean, uh, take it away from the safety aspect where a coach intervention will probably be uh, immediate and very clear. Let us say that uh, a player needs just uh, there would something that you can see which would improve them. Now, you talked about feedback, and there's feedback at that moment or feedback afterwards. When would you give feedback in the moment, and when would you give it afterwards? And how what, would that feedback be a, a question, or would that feedback be actually... This is how you do it. Well, I'll give and, you're you an not, and you're not allowed to do any more depends. You're going to have to give me straight examples. You you'll be very good as a politician in uh, answering around the question. I want specific examples.
1: Well, I, I do think it's important that each. If we talk about the complexity of coaching, we started with uh, coaches faced with hundreds of de- hundreds of decisions that they may or may not be conscious of as they go through a session. Uh, there would be uh, in these sorts of conversations it is a little bit difficult because you need more to know what you would do but if Mm. I if I reduce it down to a couple of dimensions of feedback one would be the idea of immediate feedback and delayed feedback now the research would show that if you uh, delaying feedback making it harder for a learner or offering a desirable difficulty May well in, may well support long-term retention of a skill and transfer of a skill. However, offering immediate short-term feedback may well improve them quickly in front of you, but it may not transfer and uh, and be retained as well in the long term.
0: Oh, right. However, so I'm interested by that because um, again, some of the research I've read is sometimes the feedback in the moment. Uh, allows the player to have a much clearer idea of where they went wrong, but they may find it difficult to remember what where they went wrong maybe in four or five minutes. But what you're suggesting is that you, you don't actually delay the feedback in one way. You're actually giving them a different challenge to maybe help them. Is that what you're suggesting?
1: Yeah, so rather than offering immediate feedback, you might want to engage them in thinking about where they are. Oh, right. And in doing so, offering a desirable difficulty supporting long-term uh, retention and transfer. However, if that player is at the stage where they are just not able to do that, then there is little point offering them the opportunity uh, to think about things when they just haven't got uh, the existing skill set to do so, which would be a case where short-term feedback will, is more appropriate for the long-term which is the idea of desirable difficulty, because it's an appropriate level of difficulty rather than anything that's too easy or too hard.
0: So, again, this goes back to something you've said uh, earlier on about coaches themselves and the idea of knowledge. Um, Now, this could turn into a very deep question. Uh, So knowledge uh, is your brain um, remembering things. Um, and it goes into your long-term memory, and you remember it. Now we know that muscles don't have memory. Um, so when you're telling a player something, they're hearing the words, but that doesn't necessarily go into actions. So how do you believe that their actions become more like habits?
1: Oof! You're uh, asking a big question. That's probably, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, that sits out my outside my area of expertise and. I would suggest that at times like uh, i suppose to answer the question I'd refer probably more to a i suppose rather than the mechanism of how it happens um, I would probably lean on the process uh, re- on the process of of coaching how does how does how can a coach support that right. and again, it ultimately depends on uh, there's a significant factor of how you believe it happens, but there are uh, i i in my view there are knowledge bases that a player can have that support their reflection on their action that help them develop their uh, develop their skilled action i'm certainly not suggesting that there's a list of a, a, a player carries around a list of things in their head yeah. and they go through move my foot here do this do that um in a very consciously controlled manner. However, it doesn't mean that skilled action can't be learned as a result of deliberately internally focusing.
0: So for instance, we're um, going to go back to scrum, um, the tight head um, sort of loses his uh, loses one scrum in whatever way we might regard, tight head loses scrum. But as he's going away from the scrum, because of his knowledge base, he is quickly reflecting back and thinking, "Well, for the next one, I've got to do this because I've got enough knowledge about it that the next time I do it, I might just adjust my shoulder position or foot position, which um, which allows me to be to be more effective." Is that is that what you're suggesting?
1: Yeah, I would definitely be suggesting that, and I hope that a part of the role of a, a coach is to support a player both. Gain that knowledge base, understanding what an opposition might be doing and how you might tactically counteract it. And also, so, uh, by if, talking about the example we gave earlier, by offering immediate short term feedback on an ongoing basis may prevent a player uh, engaging in that process when they're on the pitch.
0: Now, that's interesting for me because um, I sense that in my own coaching, I've probably jumped in a bit quicker now to give immediate feedback, try to be in the midst of it as, as not stopping the game perhaps, or stopping what the actions, but trying to give that player some personal feedback as opposed to, uh, maybe reflecting at the end. So again, the skill of the coach is to know when to step in, step out and, and judge the situation. So again, sticking to, um, one of my favorite areas, uh, despite staying out of the scrum since the age of about 14 is, scrum Scrum training and hitting scrum machines now where does that fit in to the coach trying to create the habits and then feeding back because uh, where i'm going with this is that a scrum machine uh, is often criticized because it is just um, a set of pads which don't give you the same sort of feedback uh, that's, that's like a multiple question in there so what what are the benefits really of using the scrum machine? Are there any? And what do we need to be wary of?
1: Well, I suppose fundamentally, we know that the greater the specificity of practice, so the more practice looks like the game, the more likely you are to be able to learn and transfer. Now, it's pretty obvious that a scrum machine is not the same as scrummaging against another pack eight on eight. However, there are other important considerations I'd have. So it, there are certainly useful means for a scrum machine to be used. There are, if for example, we are working on a specific area of our timing or on our sequencing or um, our, when we sync, um, and our timing is an eight. Then I think they are really useful. Uh, a scrum machine is a really useful tool. Uh, there are scrum machines also change the nature of the way you set up. So, for example, a hooker has to have his foot up. He can't. Um, he can't take his foot back if you're engaging on a scrum machine instead of going eight on eight. And it does change the nature of what's what's in front of you. But it does have its uses, particularly if you haven't got. 16 forwards.
0: Now, I know that uh, coaches come up with clever ways to get around that, but uh, going back um, several stages to something you were talking about before with this, the mass block practice to build confidence with players, it strikes me that perhaps the scrum machine can just allow that for players to have a little bit more of a comfortable time to explore what they're doing and maybe build some confidence with the players around them is that uh, is is that the right sort of thinking with the scrum machine as well
1: yeah i'd say well by, i suppose by definition because it doesn't move it offers a, a greater level of massed rather than a variable practice so again you're less likely to get transfer um and yes it may well support the building of confidence but it depends what you're trying to coach as well
0: now, Fred Truman famously said that uh, he didn't need to do any training. He just needs to bowl and bowl and bowl. Um, now, <laughs> he was of a different era and very successful in what he did. Um, are we, uh, so you're talking a lot about specific, specific, uh, specificity, if I could ever say the word. Um, and it's gotta, they gotta, the game's got to look like the game. But that's obviously impractical. So how are you helping, say, a, um, a prop perhaps to improve if you can't necessarily give them all the time, these these things which are specific to their, their position?
1: I think it's the, the constant balance, particularly in rugby, as is a, is a, a very heavy contact sport. I was having this conversation on the phone earlier with somebody in the, and we were talking specifically about tackling. And the difficulties that are presented by the nature of the sport and improving tackling skill and how you uh, and how you prioritize what you do in developing skilled tacklers Um, and we have a particular conversation around uh, tackle height laws and how that impacts on on training Uh, now i think there are rugby is potentially one of the most difficult sports to offer specificity for it's not like football where we can go 100% uh, specific, well, near enough, very specific to match conditions on a pretty regular basis. Uh, a re- pretty regular basis during training. Rugby, you can't do that because everybody will be broken, and there are decisions that a coach to add to the complexity of coaching rugby. There are decisions that a coach has to make around that.
0: So, when we look at training. Um, it's quite easy for someone from the outside to say, oh, well, this doesn't look like the game. This, uh, I can't see how this is relevant to the game. But we've got to probably step back perhaps sometimes and try and put together something piece by piece, which allows us to challenge the players enough, give them enough of what the game looks like in small chunks. So when they actually... We can actually put a bit more bone on bone. It does make sense. Is, is that um, does that make sense?
1: Yes. I, fundamentally, again, the starting point is why is a coach doing something, and being, you you can't necessarily judge coaching practice just by standing on the side and observing somebody. You've got to understand what their intentions are, why they're doing it. Now, in there are, I would as, a, as I suppose as a guideline for rugby coaches, I'd suggest it'd be important to try and maximise the specificity that you offer within the boundaries of of player load, whether that's contact or running load.
0: So uh, just to think about that and I'm going to finish up on this because I know that uh, something you're very keen on is to have that uh, something in mind when you're doing something. So can you give me an example of when you have have something in mind, but it's a long way off what it's going to look like eventually? so it is it is the start of the journey, uh, but the end of the journey will look a lot different
1: okay, so if we uh, we'll talk about tackling because that's the, the example we've just been just been using mm. now um, to, to my mind, I see very few uses for a tackle sausage the 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 things that just fall over when you touch them. Mm. I don't see a great deal of use for them other than perhaps improving the confidence of somebody who's never tackled before. However, a tackle shield, which people run around with, that typically gets a pretty bad rap because it's not like tackling uh, a guy running at you with the ball. I think it offers a useful halfway house that might help improve the movement competency if we're developing tackle in a technical sense, at relatively low risk. Now that would be an example of if it's used effectively and it's scaled up, scaled down where appropriate, where making contact with a bag in a very linear fashion may support the development of tackle technique as long as it is then scaled up appropriately. And at some point meets the needs of what somebody will need to be able to do in a game.
0: And I think that's quite an exciting thought, really, because um, a lot of more recently, uh, as you quite rightly, the ruck pads, tackle pads have had a a bad rap. And probably because coaches have not seen why they're using them. They just reckon, well, they'll they'll be useful and we'll just run into them and they've, they've not built it into this. I'm not sure if it's necessarily a spectrum, but it's a path of moving towards towards the the end. Jamie, that I mean, there are so many more questions to ask out of plenty of the things you've said, and um, but what you've given to me is um, some really key things to take away, especially in terms of the feedback in the moment and the feedback in delay. Uh, that we shouldn't look as coaches in terms of their expertise, but the well who they're coaching in front of them and then uh, at the end is having that the approach is the most important thing really is to understand why you're doing it um and it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to look exactly like the game when you're doing it but as long as you're on some sort of path is there anything else you'd add into uh, as a summary of what we've we've covered
1: yeah, I suppose just on that on that last point, I'd, I'd urge coaches to maximise specificity. Specificity. I'm struggling with it now as well. Yeah, it's my <laughs> fault. <laughs> maximise specificity if they can. Um, but so, for example, don't just get uh, just don't just get players running into tackle bags up and down, up and down, and then expecting them to, be able to transfer into the game. It needs a more nuanced approach than no tackle bag, uh, no tackle shields whatsoever. And only tackle shields. We've got to be. I think we've got to be better than that as coaches, and more thoughtful than that.
0: Yeah. Okay. And that's uh, that's a challenge for all of us to uh, to think about. Jamie, thank you very much for your time. I know you're very busy uh, with all the different things which are going uh, going on, and uh, it's um, as always very good to get your thoughtful and very deliberate um, ideas. And also to try and challenge you to come up with specific examples because I know that some of the questions inevitably it does depend and uh, you, it's it's difficult when you don't have the exact example in front of you. So Jamie, thank you very much for your time.
1: Cheers, Dan. a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you for everyone for listening. Uh, this podcast goes out on rugbycoachweekly.net. If you click on the podcast button you will be able to listen to this podcast and many others. So thank you all and speak to you all again very soon. Thanks for listening to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. If you want to hear more podcasts, head over to rugbycoachweekly.net and click on the Blogs tab to catch up on any episodes you missed. We look forward to speaking to you again soon with more insights from coaches and experts from the world of rugby, sport
1: and learning.